0: Welcome back, everybody, to Sex and Couples Therapy with a the Happy Ending Therapist. Once again, I am Donna Harris Richards, your sex-positive sex therapist here. I'm an LICSW and a certified sex therapist working with couples and families um, around sexual health and relationships, and I'm here with my wonderful producer, Vicki. How are you, Vicki.
1: Hello, I'm doing wonderfully. <laughs> oh, she's got that big
0: smile on, that big sparkly smile with those big white teeth. Awesome. <laughs> uh,
1: I just got a. I just got a filling fixed the other day, so. <laughs> oh. Oh, how are you feeling? Oh, fine. I just I haven't okay. had one of those fixed in a really long time, and I uh, I forgot how much of a pain it is. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait till you get to my age and you're getting
0: crowns. <laughs> I feel like royalty. I have so many crowns. Uh, well, I'm glad you had that done. Our teeth are really important to our health. So, yeah. And speaking about health, I am going to state the mission if you are okay with that. Um, The mission here of Sex and Couples Therapy Podcast with the Happy Ending Therapist is to help individuals, couples, and families embrace and integrate sex-positive thinking into daily life for optimal health, including sexual health and wellness. We go for annual mammograms, gynecological exams, and prostate exams for physical sexual health. We owe ourselves checkups on the emotional and mental aspects of sexual health for optimal health and wellness. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> so we are doing today a podcast on part two of family therapy and systemic therapy, and what is it, and why is it so important, right? Um, but we are sort of bumping up uh, to the holidays here, right? Full uh, disclosure that we're recording mid-November, Um and, um, getting ready to sort of, you know, bake pies and make things and have a little extra time off. Uh, we talked about that last time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm wondering, Vicki, um, are you still doing plants?
1: I am still doing plants. I still love my plants. Um, they are just, they're just vibing right now, to be honest. <laughs> I cut some back. Um, It's always, you know, as the weather gets colder, it's always a little interesting. You know, the temperature in the house changes, you know, the heat's on, got to adjust to make sure that they can, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, be fine. It's, It's funny, I saw something online the other day, you know, saying, you know, house plants are you know what? it's two degrees colder in here than it was yesterday or this water isn't filtered or you know all these little nitpicky things and outside Mm -hmm. plants are like this crack in the sidewalk looks good
0: (laughs) 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 yeah right much easier (laughs) so yeah (laughs) oh well that's good and are you enjoying your your new digs as well
1: i am i'm very very happy to be there um Good. I'm excited. I'm already looking forward to to putting my Christmas decorations up. so <laughs> I'm planning it out. Oh Oh, nice,
0: nice. What Good about day. you? Well, you know, I I've maybe I've become a bit of a plant lady. Uh, I've done a lot of, oh, what do you call those plants outside? You know, it's interesting, I didn't do any flower boxes this summer. Um, mm-hmm. but I did them in the fall and now in winter. what what are those red cabbagey things called? I don't know. They they live, and they're, they're very uh, robust, and they survive in the winter. They're like purpley cabbage. They sell, there's white ones, sort of cabbagey looking plants. Anyway, I oh, put all I those around know. outside. Yeah, and they're making me pretty happy, in those things. That's so. good. Good, good, good. Yeah. So <laughs> that's good. And um, what else? I was going to mention something else. Um, I've been cleaning a lot. I've been just like throwing out a lot of papers and just sort of lightening the load in terms mm-hmm. of that. Like I just got rid of, Oh, this is a little embarrassing to admit, but um, tax returns from 1996. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what is that? The, uh, four, uh, four and t- like eighteen years worth of tax returns and the receipts that go with them. All those shoeboxes. Oh boxes? yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that took about that took about three weeks, and I'm I'm feeling pretty darn good after that. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. And lightening the load in other ways, like getting rid of you know I don't know just stuff around the house that's collecting dust and just feeling good like that. So that's what's going on on my end. Uh, but let's see. Um, shall we dive in to our uh, yes. to our talk on what is family and systemic therapy and why the heck is it so important, right? So mm. in part one, um, we sort of answered that question, right? What is a systems therapist? A systems therapist essentially is working with a family on um, the system of the relationships, right? So a couple yeah. is a family. Um, you know, family is a family. There's blended families. There's bio families. There's um, all kinds of folks who, are, who consider this, themselves families. I mean, you don't even have to be related to be a family. You can just be living together in a partnership and, and be a family. Um, mm-hmm. And that's family therapy. And, I, and we're looking at how to solve problems, not people. Right, right. So we're not, you know, pathologizing. We're just looking at how to make things more productive or for the sake of more, right, pleasure, play, and passion, as we like to say, just for, for life enjoyment, quality of life. Um, so today, we wanted to touch a little bit on families and sexuality. But I wanted to start with a quote by M.E. Lamb, um, who talked about children and involved fathers. So... Children with involved fathers have been found to have higher cognitive and developmental functioning, greater empathy, a stronger internal locus of control, and less rigid sex stereotypes. So that's a quote about children and involved fathers. Um, Two more quotes I want to kind of mention, which are great. Gloria Steinem wrote, We have begun to raise our daughters more like sons, but few have the courage to raise our sons more like our daughters.
1: I love that one
0: because I think it's true. Yeah, 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 I agree. We'll we'll start talking about what that means today. Um, And then Ross D. Park, P-A-R-K-E, in Fatherhood, the Developing Child, 1996, wrote, Fathers do not simply decide to be involved or uninvolved. Rather, their participation in family routines evolves out of a system of influences. So uh, we know that prior to age five, the presence of involved fathers for boys helps increase um, boys and young men's levels of empathy for others. And we know um, very well from the literature that involved fathers for daughters— is you know leads to this really rich and wonderful um evolution for girls and young women around success with um you know income education relationships quality of life uh so there's just so much to be gotten out of close relationships with with dads for girls and boys um and you know certainly with moms um and the reason it's important to talk about families and sexuality is is because um, to be human is to be sexual, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we know that if parents are shy about, sex, about talking about sex, if they show discomfort or shame or embarrassment about sexuality um, or genial gratification, you know, this leads to children and teens shutting down, having sort of poor communication, less information, um And then they're just sort of left on their own going, Oh, you know, how do I learn about sex? you know, I talk to my friends um but but all of this, if parents are are you know again shy or feel ashamed about it, um it's just less opportunities for learning for for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, children are curious and they're interested in play, right? They're interested in what feels good. They're interested in their body parts. You know, this is a natural state for kids. So um, how sex and sexual gratification is addressed in early childhood, you know, age appropriately, of course, can make this critical difference in how likely adolescents are to discuss their bodies, their sex, and their sexuality. And there's no better place to get that information from than parents, because parents really care about their kids. You know, they want their right. kids to be healthy. They don't want their kids to, you know, get pregnant or too early. I mean, parents have the right sort of uh, ideas for their kids. But, you know, it's hard to know how to talk about it. So what do we do? We just don't often talk about it because, again, right. you know, we don't know how, right? So um, it's important. And and family and systemic therapy and and, and family and sexual health if you go to a systemic therapist like myself to start to you know talk about okay how do we talk with our kids about this whether the kids are present or not present i mean i had a couple the other day um and they are um they have a very specific spirit spirituality or religion that they subscribe to that is um not sex positive so they Mm -hmm. were asking me how do we talk to our 15 year old now about sex and I said, well, uh, you know, what you're what you're going to be doing. I, I hope in talking with your 15 year old is is maybe doing the same thing talking to your 10 year old and your 8 year old and your 7 year old. <laughs> they got right. a lot of kids, <laughs> um, yeah. and you know we we can talk about uh, you can talk about with with him about dating and what's well, talk about consent. You know, he just went on his first date with a, with a little girl, and um, <laughs> you know talking about. Just opening up the conversation, you know, just, honey, is there anything you want to know? Let, let's talk about, um, your feelings for her. You know, do you feel attracted to her? Do you, you know, feel like you want to kiss her and talking about consent and what that means? You know, if you feel like you want to do that, you have to say that you have to say things like, you know, um, can I kiss you? You know, otherwise <laughs> this is not, um, not going to be cool with her if you just lean in and do it without consent, um, And I said, of course, that's awkward. You know, who who wants to say that? That's so weird. Um, But, you know, you can say it in a way, I said to them, where um, it it can be almost one where it's increasing his level of confidence um, and competence around communication. Um, You know, he could even say, you know, I'd really like to kiss you. Is that OK with you? And yeah. no matter what she thinks about it, you know, she's at least going to admire that he was
1: getting her consent, um, you know, because... And, and that he communicated his feelings and, yeah.
0: hmm Yeah. Um. Because, I, I mean, I remember being a teenager and it's so confusing, right? It's like... <laughs> Is it okay that, you're, that he's not saying it? It looks like he wants to. I don't really know. Like, what is, who knows? It's just crazy, right?
1: Right. And being, so a teenager, they, being a teenager is weird.
0: <laughs> so I love that they even asked me about it. Again, they are very religious. And I love that the, it even came up for them. Um, and, and I had, of course, you know, introduced the idea early on that talking about your family, talking about sexuality... Together as a couple and with your children is really important. Otherwise, they're just poking around in the dark, and you don't really know where they're getting their information from.
1: Um, but so. I love that they brought it up, and I love that they acknowledged mm-hmm. that they didn't know how to bring it up. Because I think you're right. Mm-hmm. If if parents are if parents act weird about it, then kids are going to act weird about it. And if the parents are just Not matter of fact, but just as matter of fact as they can be. And this is normal. Like, those feelings are normal. How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Like, encouraging them to work through them in a positive way. It's just, I think that's amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It it really was um, very important.
1: And and they are,
0: yeah, really sort of um, working through their own anxiety about it. And mm-hmm. you know, I said to them, it's okay to say to you to your kids that, yeah, this is weird, right? This is awkward. You know, we're your mom <laughs> and dad, and uh, here we are talking about sex. You know, you can clear. I said you can clearly let you know your son know that you are not interested in raising grandchildren. That is not going to happen. So mm-hmm. you know, if he gets someone pregnant, um, he better be ready to, uh, or if he's going to have sex with someone, he better be ready to to be a dad. Um, and you know, talking about condoms and. Um, being safe and sexually transmitted infections and diseases, and how important it is to protect yourself, protect your partner. Um, just this is just good stuff, um, but hard stuff, of course. So, so the development of this sort of interpersonal communication, um, managing conflict, taking risks in relationships, um, you know, showing vulnerability and authenticity. It's all. Whether it's just a couple or families in general, it's sort of all at the heart of what we do as systemic uh, therapists, family therapists, couples therapists, with this focus on sexual health as part of overall health, mental health, physical health. Um, I'm all for that. Um, So blended families, that's a big thing as well. You know, I have lots of folks who are coming to me wanting to know how to do their blended family. Um, great resource for blended families is Peggy Papper now, P-A-P-E-R-N-O-W. Um, and I use a lot of her work and, you know, recommend that people read her, um, you know, 50, more than 50% of families in the U.S. are blended families and that number is rising and I'm seeing more and more of it in my practice. Um, so, um, you know, the stronger, the relationship of, you know, the couple as parents, the lower the anxiety levels for their children. It leaves children freer to play without worrying about their parents resolving or not resolving their conflict. It leaves them freer to know that they can talk about these things that seem forbidden. Um, and again, play is so important for kids. Play, play is the work for children. Um, and parents... Developing their own ability to manage and resolve conflicts as quickly as possible is key to setting a firm foundation for children, to have this sort of optimal modeling um, in the form of parents um, and and sort of developing confidence, competence, uh, their academic goals, the freedom to explore and be sexually curious. Sexual development is healthy. I think that's my message here is that if we understand that we all have parts, even in your, in the, excuse me, (laughs) <laughs> even, in, even in utero, um, children are touching themselves. You know, little babies, fetuses are touching their private parts because it feels good. We have nerve endings and right. blood flow, and it feels good. Um, so it's, it's just important to know that kids are sexual, and, and it's important to teach them the right names for body parts, you know, penis and vagina, right? I remember when I was growing up, I'll just say this. Um, my parents named the private parts. You want to know what my mother named it? She named them cootsies. <laughs> and of course, my brothers and I howl when we talk about this. It's so funny now, but it was like, well, okay. So is that a girl cootsie and a boy cootsie? It's like the same name for for both? Like what? Right. you
1: confused. <laughs> oh. Or even, you know, well, even uh, this is a tough subject for a lot of people, but, you know, when you're talking about, Um, if there's any sexual trauma, making sure that you're using, Mm. you know, the right words for things so that if God forbid something was happening, you know, that, and they, Mm. they say something that, you know, whether it's to a teacher or another adult that, you know, it's understood what's happening instead of it being something like, you know, not knowing what the word is and and not registering.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. To be really clear. And it's hard because, you know, genera- generationally speaking, what came before is maybe not that modeling. You know, that that right. your own parents were not that clear. So, um, you know, breaking the cycle. And again, I mentioned this last time. You know, uh, this sort of Rogerian way of thinking about people is that we all really want to aspire to be better. I mean, most folks just want to be good parents. You know, they right. they just don't know how. I mean, lots of times I'm I'm working with blended families or parents who are parenting and sometimes it's just as simple as you know getting permission from someone like myself to set limits right Right. Um, just like hearing the therapist say it's okay to set a bedtime and tell them that it's good for them to get a certain amount of hours sleep you know they're not going (laughs) to like it but you know you and I both know as adults that sleep is really important it helps us be better during the day um, and, you know, yeah, like the Rolling Stones said, you can't always get what you want, and this is... Life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and I think for kids, it just something else. I've, I was seeing, um, I was watching a video online yesterday, and it was a, it was a mom, and she was, you know, actively modeling um, gentle parenting. So she was talking to her daughter, and they had a blended family, and it was, you know, her mm-hmm. husband's daughter from a previous marriage, and, you know, she was really working on... They treat all of the kids the same across the whole everything, and and the little girl was having a temper tantrum, and she was just talking to the six-year-old or the six or seven-year-old the same way that she did, you know, to an adult. Okay, well, we can't do that right now. Like, why don't we try to calm down? And you know, all these things, and everyone's like, "You're giving your kid too much rope." And she's like, "No, I'm I'm just trying to model that it's okay to have emotion, it's okay to feel a certain way, but there's." healthy ways to work through it instead of just screaming your head off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she was like, it's so important across the board with our family. She goes, you know, my husband has kids from his previous marriage. I have kids from my previous marriage. We have kids together. Like, it's so important to treat all of the kids the same, even if it's, you know, if it's difficult or if they get upset because they, you're teaching them how to handle these same emotions the same way you're learning how to handle them. Does that make sense? Mm.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um sure. And and you know, blended families are challenging because it, it can take anywhere from, I don't know, two years and, and up, you know, seven years to really kind of get the hang of how to be relating in a way that feels fair to kids, you know. Right. That feels like, you know, this step parent loves me as much as they love their biological children. Um mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's 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 challenging. So You know, there's a a lot of work to be done around that, about limit setting. Um, Yeah, this idea that that feelings are natural. But again, it kind of goes back to this idea that we can't help how we feel, but we can help what we do. Right. And look, there are consequences in life. There are, are, you know, choices that we make are consequential, let's say, either positively or negatively. Um, So it's okay to uh, let your kiddo know that if they can't... um, you know, keep them ha- their hands to themselves, you know, there's going to be a consequence for that. <laughs> you know, you don't just get to do what you want when you want. And this is right. how we shape children. But you, you also want to be treating the children equally, that, that you know, favoritism is, you know, there's this idea, you know, I once had a, a family, and again, this was one of those cases where I think they came in two or three times, where the 15-year-old um had lost her mom. She had died when she was really young and she had this stepmom who she really loved but she was feeling like she was a little bit of the Cinderella that she was being made to do more stuff than the 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 stepmom's bio child. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they came in as a family and we sort mm-hmm. of talked through it and we got fair and egalitarian about the division of labor and yeah. after a few sessions it, that was it. We were done because uh, yeah. they'd already been sort of uh, together for a number of years and they'd had some things worked out. But we sort of foregrounded dad, which was good. Um, we backgrounded mom a little bit in some ways. Um, and I think that that's very, very helpful, especially because I think it was two young women. There was a 15-year-old who was a, a female and another daughter, um, but the buyer daughter of the stepmom. And, you know, the 15-year-old had a lot to say and she was actually really... Uh, clear in what she wanted she just wanted fairness Mm. and so just to have a guide like someone like myself to to sort of help them through that conversation and then do things differently so it's felt more fair actually you know that the 15 year old was a little bit like the family family leader (laughs) co-therapist you know which was interesting and sometimes parents can't see it and so it's really helpful for them to see what's happening from the child's perspective um and sometimes it's just, again, it's just getting permission to, to set firmer limits or to, um, you know, in the case of when dads take over, this was something that I wanted to talk about, how, you know, mothers carry a pretty heavy emotional load in the raising of children. So um, when when male partners or fathers can help the couple relationship by their willingness to sort of establish a fair division of labor, like, you know, take over some bath time stuff or do more mm-hmm. of the cooking. Um, this this creates a more equal relationship for the couple, reduces the level of anxiety in the family, also makes dad more sexually attractive to, to the partner, um, mm-hmm. creates a more constructive family process. Um, and in fact, a, you know, a couple can achieve a really well-working system in this way, Um including sexuality in their own relationship, meaning that it's not that the kids are seeing that going on, but the kids are are getting that mom and dad are working things out by dad uh, taking on more of the toll that mom is going through. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. And, And rather than him going to her for sex or intimacy, if he moves in the opposite direction around that triangle that I've talked about, again, it leaves her going, Oh, look at that. Well, he's taking over bath time. That is so cool. Yeah. And she's going to be thinking, oh, wow, that's pretty that's pretty appealing and attractive and it's lightening her load so that she, you know, is going to be feeling uh more relaxed, right? We talk about sort of um sexuality and when when folks are exhausted or not relaxed, you know, this inhibits um sexuality, it inhibits her ability to uh, sort of Put, take her her foot off the brake and put it on the gas, you know, the book by Emily Nagoski, Come mm-hmm. As You Are, she talks about the gas and the brakes and how if moms can do that and relax and have some time for themselves or take a girl's weekend away or get a break around cooking um, mm-hmm. or cleaning, you know, where dad takes that over, this is very good for families. Kids are watching that um, and it's good for the couple. You know, I had a couple the other day, this was so interesting, we counted the hours We counted the hours of what she does um, in the Division of Labor of the Home and what he does. Uh, The hours added up. At first, he was thinking, well, you know, I do the outside stuff. You do the inside stuff, so isn't that fair? But when we counted the hours and did the math, which I love doing the math, she was putting in 684 hours and he was putting in 82. (laughs) And so when he took on about 302 hours that well or 301 actually that split it evenly
1: yeah (laughs) well that's good for the kids to see that too it's good to see the kids you know both people playing a part in in making the home run because then as those kids get older they'll be they'll know how to be a part of an active running household so it's like they'll they'll already know what they need to do and and go forward Mm -hmm. from there
0: yeah, and on on that same note, I'm a big um a big proponent of have the children chip in as much as they possibly can to, to help with mm. the family system, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> it, this is a very new idea that kids get to go in their room and play on their iPads for hours and not make their bed or not do the dishes or you know I, mm. that's not familiar to me how I grew up, um, so I'm a big proponent of that because. It actually helped me, I would say, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, uh, learn that, you know, I mean, life is work. It doesn't have to be terrible, but it can be, you know, you learn if you're sort of doing tasks early on as a teen or a kid, you learn that there's a division of labor that goes on that helps everybody, right? I I think about this metaphor of, uh, you know, everybody wants a nice home. Everybody wants a comfortable home, uh, one that feels good. So that means kind of everybody has to participate, you know, you don't just get to walk around and throw your stuff on the floor and not have to pick it up, right? <laughs> so, uh, sorry, I might sound a little a little tough, but
1: no, I think it's I think it's important.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so good. Um, and also, you know, talking about sexuality also includes this idea of um, sexual identity, gender identity. Um, because nowadays you know if if children are saying look i I think I'm a, a girl in a in a boy's body or a boy in a girl's body you know how do we talk about that with our children how do you how do we open up about sexuality um mm-hmm. and and normalize so much of this this is not easy stuff this is new territory a bit um and even you know with sexual identity I don't think I like Um, Folks of the opposite sex Maybe I'm attracted to people of the same sex Again, all very normal, right? Sexuality is on a continuum Um, And if you don't know how to talk about it with your children You know, go to a systems therapist A family therapist Somebody who understands and is trained in sexual health And normalizing everything regarding sexuality Um, Right And again, teaching boys about consent Teaching girls that, um, you know, in some religions uh, Girls are taught that um, a boy's response to that girl's body um, is her responsibility, hmm. and so we want to be really talking about how biology is different than ideology, you know, that, or spirituality um, or religion. That it's really important that that young women and girls understand that they're responsible for themselves, but they're they're not responsible for how other people behave
1: no oh that's that just stresses me out (laughs) it's it's just so much pressure to put on one person especially you know if they're a young girl that's developing and getting older and and already trying to navigate all the emotions and hormones that come with that imagine having to be responsible for how other people that you might not even know (laughs) you know feel about you as well that's that's a lot
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. So, so it really, I'm hopefully always coming from the perspective of understanding that parents aspire to be great parents. You know, they really love their children, and just giving them some language and some tools. And if they feel too worried or afraid to try it themselves, we try it all together. You know, let's bring everybody in and, and talk about it all together to lower anxiety and, and help people develop some, some skills that they take with them. This again, it's not long term, it can be very brief they take those skills, learn those questions to ask and carry on their merry way. And then if they need to come back, you know, they come
1: back. It's great. I welcome it. That's awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we start to wrap
0: up? Well, you know, I, I wanted to touch one more time on neurobiology and attachment from part one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about that, that article I came across by Phil Rich. Um, and um, <sighs> Phil talks about, you know, the idea of brain plasticity and the opportunity today with a partner to modify how we do relationships or experience relationships or heal in relationships right so um he he what i love that he says is you know there's this brain-based learning that can go on in therapy in relational therapy um focused on attunement right so literally attuning to your partner or attuning to your family member Um, you know learning how to do good stress management and nurturing relationships that stimulates the attachment circuits of the brain. And in the same way like when I was saying before when people have strokes, we you know people can literally rewire their brain. The brain is always growing and evolving, just like relationships and people. Hopefully we're all always growing and evolving and when people sit down together you know, with family therapy or just in families and open up the dialogue about sex or sexuality or sexual health, it's so important. It helps children and couples know that they can talk about it. They can understand that, you know, you're an apple and I'm an orange, right? Um, that that we can have different takes on things and still uh, coexist and and go to someone who's an expert on sexual health and find out what's normal, maybe what's not normal, Um you know, um, so so there's just lots of important resources out there in the form of family therapy, systemic therapy, sexual health therapy, couple therapy. And I just want to say that loud and clear so, so people know that they have a, a place to come. All right, cool. So uh, again, if people, you know, are interested and, and they want to reach out and get more information, uh, feel free to call the office five oh eight nine nine zero ninety nine zero nine. As I mentioned before there's a short wait list. Um but that's okay, a call anyway. On Facebook, um we are the Sex and Couples Therapist. On Instagram the Happy Ending Therapist. The uh website is w dot Sex and dot com. And you know, go on out right now, you know that the, the lights are out there and you know the sort of celebrations are beginning and enjoy each other and Hopefully uh, connect and remember to always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. Thank you, Vicki, and thanks everyone for listening. See you next time.